All right, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Coaches Corner University podcast. And today I am, well, I'm Paul O'Need. And today I'm joined by a great friend of mine. Um, it's your second time on the podcast, I think, Mike De La Pava. Uh, Mike is the owner of Battle Axe Gym in Miami, Florida, where strength is everything, I hear. And uh, we're going to chat about coaching, strongman, owning a gym, everything that is MDLP. Mike, welcome. Well, thank you very much for having me, brother. It's, uh, it's good to be back. Did I do a good intro? That was great. And listen, unedited, which is, is I was raw. I was gonna I was gonna throw in your nickname El Gordo, but I just I didn't. <laughs> I didn't. <laughs> I didn't. But I did. I didn't. For, for those that speak don't speak Spanish, that means the magnificent one. Yeah, you don't have to Google it. Don't even worry about it. No, don't worry about it. It doesn't um, mean fact. It doesn't mean that at all. So you just got back from an incredible, I mean, from the looks of it, like a once in a lifetime type trip, but hopefully it's not once in a lifetime uh, to Norway. Tell me a little bit about that. So my first time to Norway was last year. Um, and then this year we made it a, like an actual trip trip. Um, it is a strength week put on by Kiki and Eagle. There are two amazing souls in Norway that are big time uh, strongman and strength advocates. They put on a whole week of strength, Highland Games, Stones of Strength. Um, they have a lot of local and worldwide strength athletes from, like I said, Highland. They have Eddie Cohen. They have Nick Best at Strongman Champions League. A lot of, um, like, Leifa and Sunny, who are two of the strongest females to ever compete in strong women and strong men. And so it's a whole, like, summer camp with almost nine, ten days of competition, seminars, games. And on top of that, uh, I went and had a... I got to speak on mental health and mental hygiene, some of my new ideas that I've been implementing. It was an honor. And then see Norway and, and hike and climb. And it's just, not to sound cliche, but it is breathtaking. Norway is just out of control. Well, the videos you posted were were incredible. And, and I, the reason I wanted to start with that is a lot of what you and I have spoken about in the context of training, I think where we resonate with each other the most is on the mental side of things. So I'm wondering if you could, you know, use the word mental hygiene, which you're the only one I know who's used that term before. So can you dive into kind of what you mean by that? You know, what sort of strategies you're talking about? Sure. That, yeah, I, as far as I recognize, I've heard that I, mental hygiene is basically something that I, I kind of created in that sense because, yeah. uh, yeah, I'm, I'm looking for that too. I'm going to do the whole thing. Good. I, I took it from the, the mental, the medical practice, right? Like dental hygiene. And, you know, when you, when you hear hygiene, you hear dental hygiene, you, you kind of think steps, you think, a, you know, an order of things. And I discussed it in the seminar. When you think dental hygiene, you think flossing, brushing your teeth, mouthwash, et cetera. And when I hear mental health and mental hygiene, the way I differentiate is that mental health can encompass everything. Uh, it, it's also the good and the bad, right? The depression, the anger, the rage from courage, happiness, and joy. Those are all part of the mental health umbrella. But mental hygiene, to me, is a series of steps or a way of kind of quantifying things where you take these things to continuously fix your health, not only in the day, today, weekly, and monthly, but long-term and the steps can include anything from like visualization to journaling and kind of organizing it, right? I, I had a discussion too when we talked about Stan Efferding's vertical diet. It wasn't that he discovered anything new, is that he made it in this kind of linear, practical, manual fashion mm -hmm. for the general population on top of our athletic uh, population as well. So mental hygiene is that. It literally is what it sounds like, a way of kind of keeping your mentality on top of it, like on top and on good points. Well, it makes a lot of sense. And, and from, you know, even with regards to sleep hygiene, right? It's just steps you take every single day in this case to make sure that you're in the best mental space possible to be, I want to say competitive, but I think it transcends sport, strength, sports, everything. Because yeah. day to day, you're going to deal with struggle. You're going to deal with hardships. And if you're in a position where you're not reactive, where you can take that space, um, you know, Victor Frankl always talks about, you know, you own the space between the action and the reaction. So, mm -hmm. <clears throat> or the stimulus and the response, right? So if you can elongate that time frame and be more strategic in your responses, I think anything is possible. Um, when you're coaching athletes, 
how do you build that into what you're trying to do? Is that something you do with everyone? So, no, um, this is something that I, I am going, I've implemented and I, I don't want to use the term irresponsibly, but experimentally with a few clients. And I was open about it. I'm like, Hey, I'm really trying to develop this system here and taking it to the next space. Are you open to having these mental hygiene scales on top of your training, on top of your Excel sheet? And uh, the ones that I thought would be receptive to it, the ones that I were, were bigger micromanagers and wanted to go to that next step were very mm-hmm. open to it. Um, so it's not for everyone, because like I said, I think it's very important to draw the line between therapist and coach. Right. I think there is a very big line of professionalism that needs to be drawn. For example, you know, if you're having marital problems or an emotional disconnection from your child, that is not my job to try and fix that. I can be there for you. I can listen to you. But primarily as a strength coach, uh, whether it's mentor or not, is to try to optimize training that in this case, it leaks over to real life. You know, the happier you are in the training room, the more strong you get mentally, you just become a a better person. And again, it's not a moral compass. It's just optimizing. And I use the word in a very scientific, objective manner to optimize how you train so that that leaks over to you have a, a better life. And better is subjective, right? What's sure. better for you is not better for me. And I, I, I do want to, you know, like I said, I, I was, I'm a psych major, and that just makes me much more critical and more careful with using things like therapy, mental health, hygiene, counseling, because that is not my paid profession yet, in a sense. Uh, I like to, to do that. So the application of it to the lifters was that, a very open communication. And it's not for everyone. Not, some people just want to get coached and they want to talk percentages and they want to fix their deadlift with a stronger hamstring. And there's other people that, you know, come to that level to do that. And the way we did it is a very practical system, right? You you talk to the lifter openly, you ask them what their 10 is and what their one is, which was, I remember the day we had you at my seminar, seminar remember, and yeah. you were talking about stress levels. That moment is when this came to me. Okay. I was like, oh, this scale system, right? Like, this is such an easy thing. Like when you take a psychology test, you know, it's like, you know, good to bad or very much so. And I, I asked the lifter, I go, think of your 10, 10 being the best day of your life, relatively unattainable, or, you know, it's one of those once in a moment lifetime. And then one being the absolute worst day of your life. And I mean, this just absolutely worse, um, not a gym day, like a real bad day. And these one to 10, I have them kind of put it at the end of every training session. You know, how was your mental scale that day? A six, a seven. And the reason we do that, right, is to document how you're feeling in a very simplified manner. I'm not saying six, and then if they want to, they can describe it right right in the description, but six for the stress or relationship or money. Well, in two, three months, we can look down the line and reflect upon training and those mental scales, right? Because more often than not, a lifter has a bad day and, you know, it's, it's not just training, you know, as a coach. Very rarely is it ever training. Exactly. It really is rarely ever training. It's something around there. Well, we have ways of, you know, understanding nutrition and sleep. But when's the last time you ask somebody goes, hey, in the last six to eight weeks, how would you look at your training mentally? There's no way you can remember every training session mentally. Like we can't remember every pound put on there. So in a very simple way, I'm not asking every single session, but like every single exercise, but we do that. So then we look back and quantify how many nines did you have or eight? And can we look back at that week? Is it reflecting that it's a particular time of the month? Is it, you know, whether it's a menstrual cycle or closing with your CEO and it's closing of the company, whether it's a time of year like summer or the beginning of school, or there's something reflecting upon your training that we can look back and go, oh, you see, at this particular time of these months, it wasn't necessary that you're failing as an athlete or you're bad, but your mental skill reflects that there's something happening on these days, you know, repeatedly that we can look at and kind of give you that. Because once you explain that knowledge to a lifter, that stress can really reduce. So I love that you started the discussion with the, with the lifter as what's your 10 and what's your one? Because so this is something that I was kind of made aware of when I was doing the the, the old app that I had. And it, it operated primarily on like a Likert scale. And what we found was that in some people, there is no concept of a 10 out of 10 or a one out of 10. Take, for example, Tony Montgomery, great friend of mine, former, uh, you know, former military, he's a Marine, 
his 10 out of 10 stress, meaning the worst day of his life, is bullets being shot at him and his friends dying. Mm -hmm. So he said to me, he's like, Paul, I don't have 10 out of 10 stress days because my 10 out of 10 is most is inconceivable to most people. And I said, okay, I guess that makes sense. And then he's like, my one out of 10, meaning the least stress that I feel is most days because I don't have bullets flying at my head. So for me to, for me to subjectively rate my stress is borderline impossible. And so that got me thinking in terms of the context of the app and and also in the context of my coaching, because I too use, I I call it a readiness scale and I use four questions. And again, I don't use it with everyone because some people don't want to track all that data, but having that conversation initially to establish the context around a 10 out of 10. Another reason why I think that's interesting is I'm finding as I get older and I've experienced more tens and I've experienced more ones, meaning I've experienced the highs of highs and the lows of lows. I don't have high days and I don't have low days anymore. You know, you ask, you ask me how my stress is on a day-to-day basis and I'm a busy guy yeah, five or six. Right. And that's, see, this is the thing, right? And that's the beauty of this, right? And I, and I talked about it in Norway because when we did this seminar in front of uh, coaches from all over the world, we're all speaking in a relatively same language, but there's no linear progression to this discussion. So meaning we're all talking mental health. We're all talking this concept, but why don't we agree? And this is the main reason why I love doing this because now we're having whether what's your 10, what's your one, what's the name of your scale. We're all kind of doing very similar things, but how do we make this one language so that we can, if I tell you RPE, you already know. Right. If I would have told you RPE 10 years ago, you'd be like, what the fuck are you talking about? And now if we talk percentage training, if we talked about that in the 80s, pre, pre-West Side, you look at me like I'm a lunatic. Like, what do you mean 75%? What does that mean? I had and five pounds because, a week. Whatever five pounds is, it's five pounds. Yeah, and then when I'm tired, I just eat steak and drink milk, right? And then it's like, same thing with macros. You remember the, the macros 10 years ago in the general population? No way. It's unheard of. Now GP is like macros. They're like, sure. They're talking, you know, micronutrients and fiber and all this stuff. And I think this is why I wanted to start openly kind of having this discussion more and more is like, I think we can create a language here where we can all kind of really discuss and express and say, hey, the mental hygiene scale. These are some of the five most common things you can do on on mental hygiene that's going to produce a great training session. And it's not, I don't want this to be anecdotal and opinion-based, right? If you look up peer-reviewed studies on visualization, body language, there is decades of training with Olympians and world-class athletes that shows you things like visualization, positive reinforcement, mm-hmm. and the things that I call like prompt engineering, um, and how that really benefits a lifter in general, not even, where we're going to only discuss sports, we're not even going into the whole psychology counseling session of it. and that's huge, right? For example, prompt engineering, that's a AI terminology. That's like a, a, a way of speaking to computers, but it's what you and me do every fucking day of our lives. But if we can just all say prompt engineering, or at least we can communicate the same language instead of saying, oh, I do encouraging commands. I'm like, mm, you know, just like how we use effective reps. You know, I love that terminology because it just makes so much more, so much sense. Mm-hmm. But six years ago, effective reps was, probably only talked about in a very high level of coaches or just in a scientific background. I fucking love that. I think that's a, I mean, it speaks to the quality of the quality of the information you can get from a person just goes through the roof. If they understand what it is that they're communicating to you, because I mean, to, to further elaborate on the point of relativity on a one to 10 scale, I don't think most people stop and ask themselves how they're feeling. And if they do, it's very rarely. And it's only when something really shitty happens, probably. Right. And here it's just, I love it. I would transition naturally. Honestly, I I mentioned this too. It's like when people say I'm listening to my body. And the first thing I say is that you don't speak your body's language. If you did, you, I wouldn't be coaching you. Mm -hmm. You, the more we understand about biomechanics, and, you know, the engineering of the muscle and the anatomy, 
the better we become at communicating to. If I say, Paul, my back hurts. You're like, okay, how, when, whatever. But if I say I was in a flexion position deadlifting and I had some rounding on the low back, I felt a slight pop and I feel numbness, et cetera, et cetera. It really starts to make our job easier. Right. And so when we start speaking as far as training is the training stuff, and you talk about mental hygiene and you say, well, I had a bad day mentally. That is such, it's even broader than the body. But yeah. if we start looking back and say, well, the last three weeks I've had, you know, a lot of fours and fives or this on this particular day. And I felt like I was not feeling right. And I came in with a bad attitude, that communication. Now you start to speak your body, not only physically, but mentally. So now you can listen to your body because there's a thin line between being a pussy and listening to your body. That's just the way that we don't want to do. It facilitates so many better conversations. Like the the athlete that comes to mind, um, she was working remotely previously. So she didn't have to drive to the, to the office. And then, and she was living in Europe, better food, less stress. All she had to do was work and train me. Moves back to the U S has shitty reaction to the food is living at home in between uh, in between finding a new place. Now she has to go into the office four days a week. So she's got two hours of commuting every day. The gym she's going to, she doesn't have any friends there. And she's wondering why her training is suffering. It's like, well, you just moved across the world. You're not digesting your food properly. Your sleep is shit. Now you have two more hours of commute. Do I need to keep asking? Like, but... Right. Because we have had conversations about readiness and we, because she has an understanding of her preparedness level, now it gives me more context as the coach to prepare the athlete properly for number one, the session, and then also modify the session to the level of preparedness of the athlete. If we can have better conversations, like if we can have better conversations and speak the same language, I think it, it holds so much. It, it's 100% the difference between crossing that barrier to the next level, which all of us want to do as coaches and as athletes. You know, it, it, it begs the question, of course, you know, science and then like not science concepts. It's like I always say it's good to have a base in something objective like science and then using that to start experimenting and asking questions and creating languages. And I feel that the community, especially the strength community, is on the verge of taking psychology, and I mean the general strength community, not, you know, obviously sports psychology and high-level coaches have been doing this for decades, but they're on the verge of, you know, wanting to have something more solid than, oh, this is the way I do it, or anecdotally, I went, I got through something difficult, so this is the way it is. I'm like, well, you know, I think we can do a little bit more than that, right? It's like back in the day, the lifting was like, just suck it up and lift heavy. No one takes that seriously anymore. Everyone's like, well, you know, there's a little bit more to that. And I think as a community that these conversations are happening more and more where we want something tangible from the mental space. So there's there's two things from that that made me smile. And my face tends to speak louder than my words sometimes. But the first part is that I truly believe that, it, like most things, training is art and science right? So you have science as a contextually dependent framework that you build out this system. And then from there, it's the artful application of that system to the person. Because when we look at research, people often forget that the research is presented as the mean. There are people to the right and the left of that bell curve. And I love that I went right and left and I went my left hand and my right. <laughs> um, but it's right to of, left to me is perfect. <laughs> of that bell curve. Um, <laughs> So you're going to have a variability of response based on what the science says should happen. Then the next question that I have for you, and, and this is, I think, going to be one that you play off on really well, is the difference between those who excel at the highest level and those who might fall short is their ability to defy biology and defy their psychology. And getting to that next level is often the case of wearing a mask where you can set aside what's going on in your life, put that mask on and become your alter ego, Superman and Clark Kent. How do you play that into having meaningful conversations about mental hygiene with your athletes and then 
really cultivating this killer mindset of a champion? Great question. I uh, I personally did it on a <laughs> on a kind of by accident and how we learn the hard way. Yeah. And I think a lot of us do that. And that was also a reason why I was so adamant about not watching my guys learn the hard way because it's it's much harder, especially when you have a brick and mortar and you're watching your guys break apart in front of you. Mm-hmm. Either the, the world of online is when you have an athlete who tears something and is crying on your shoulder and they think that they'll never lift again, I don't care who you think you are. That shit really sucks. Oh, yeah. And it's deep. And I'm not taking anything away from the online space, but when you've developed five, six, seven years of not only a relationship, but friendship, mm-hmm. and you're like, you don't want anyone to learn it the way you did. Because, you know, it's easier for us when we fuck ourselves up. And I started thinking, what concepts or what ideas have, can I take away from that will help me develop this? And it's it's that preparedness, right? It's like when you work with the Special Forces Unit. And that's something that I learned a lot with. Not so much the only the population, but the way they train. And obviously, some of their training is, you know, out of reach. But the concept is that you do kind of like six months of preparation for a six-month mission. Despite the fact that most of these guys have been training for over a decade, that buildup, they call it those buildup phases, are very linear. They're very, you know, everything's taken care of from when you're going to train, what you're going to shoot, what you're going to eat. It's very in the sense of preparing you the best possible to unleash what is going to be demanded up next. And the way we do it in the percentage system with creating, you know, numbers and peak, you can do very similar concepts. In training, for example, is nothing wrong with creating a day that's going to mimic a competition or the stress that is going to do that. But we do it in a prepared fashion. We say, hey, in three or four weeks, we're going to run this mock meet. We're going to have commands, music. I'm going to be in your face. It's going to be hot. And we're going to recreate what we think is the best example of what you're going to face in a few months so that when you get there, you can be more yourself and more prepared because being prepared, I think, really is the first step in unleashing this other side. And we do it physically. You know, when you when you train a, a guy with percentages and you go, say, you prompt engineer and you said, hey, man, you've hit 95% for three singles. You're going to fucking crush this. It's right here. Like, it's right here. Yep. And we can do the same concept psychologically in that aspect where, you know, the more prepared they are mentally, the more themselves they can feel. And explaining this stuff to them, that this is not just like made up. Hey, you look at your mental hygiene scale the last three or four months. You've had some fantastic days the last eight weeks during peak. You're confident. I've seen a lot of courage in your videos. You're becoming more communicative. Now we can start pushing. I'm going to start letting you more loose. And I think we can really start pushing. Um, and that's kind of, again, there's always that barrier in the, in the online space. But again, communication, phone calls voice message, all that stuff is super important with the language. So I think both aspects can be like that build-up phase is very important. And then cultivating that through the years. And again, I was very passionate about, I kind of learned that accidentally. And some people were like, oh, how'd you do that? I go, man, I really just, a lot of times I just got fucking lucky. There were some times where I should not have made certain things and certain decisions. So I never want, I don't want that for most people. You know, so some people just, you know, some people learn the hard way, but that's not the way it should be. Yeah, I'm like <clears throat> thinking back to the athletes that I've coached. Who you almost have to pull back sometimes, and I, I personally find it's it's much easier to pull somebody back than it is to kind of show them the way that they can perform. Mm-hmm. You almost want that person who wants to bang their head through a wall because it's way easier to put a cushion on the wall. Than for you to put a helmet on the person, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. Some people want to bubble wrap what it is that we're doing, and I don't want to sound too, you know, old school or you know, meatheadish when I say this, but you have to be a little crazy. Yeah, you have yeah, to be I, a little nuts. You, you fucking do, and and I think that that attitude in the sense of. You know, I learned that when I was, uh, remember Brian told me that when I was hitting my back, he was like, when you're going to have to be a little insane to think you can come back from a serious spine injury. Like you just, you just have to be that person that says, I'm going to do this and I'm going to, and I would say that to any serious injury or, you know, disease like cancer, like you have to be that crazy. And 
I also want to draw a very distinct line between the fact that we're doing something that's just not natural. You have to push the limits. And there's going to be a time where you're going to go into dark waters mentally and physically. I mean, this isn't for fucking everyone in that sense. And I love that, right? That's why we're here. Mm-hmm. And the more we discuss and the more we prepare ourselves, it's just, you know, just, and I, and I say this truly, just because we're being, you know, practical and we're taking steps, by no means is that going to make the action smaller or the, the effort not adventurous, by no means. You know, it's, the, effort it's, is, the effort is the standard, right? And this is something right. that really, really fucking bothers me about this new age of Instagram expert is talking about these heuristics of exercise prescription and exercise execution and forgetting the main tenant of intensity. And intensity to me is the one variable. It's like the volume at a party. It's turned up to 11 all the fucking time. Yes, there are going to be periods where you got to lower the volume because the police are at the door. But other than that, we're partying. Right. <laughs> and right. The parallel to be drawn is we're going to have deload weeks for sure. We all right. need them. The way that you plan your training is going to allow you to either deload less often or whatever it might be. And we can get into the weeds on that conversation. But the big thing for me is, are you approaching your training with a specific intent every single day? Do you have trust in the plan? Do you have trust in your preparation, both physically and mentally? And do you know that your coach has put you in a position to be successful? If that's the case, run your head through a wall, young buck. Fucking run. run. <laughs> uh, there, there's, only, there's only so much, right? You have op- two opposite sides of the spectrum, too. And I, I see... At one point, the only thing that made Instagram was just being a savage. Remember, being a savage, be a savage. Be rubbish. And it was right, it right, and that was huge. You remember the the videos, lift without care. Well, well, look at P. Rubbish now, a much more educated, beat up person. But you have these two opposite sides of the spectrum. You have your super, you know, the protractor squad that's like it's only this and this much, and then you have your other guys. And it's like, I think for the most part, it's our job to unite those languages and yes. unite those countries and with preparation, right? Um, there's going to be, a, and this is why I always laugh, but what happens when you get hurt? When you get hurt, you lean on science. You don't fucking care about nothing. You you start reading things on isometrics and heat and micronutrients and you take your CBD and you're like, science, 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 science. Then when you're on top of the game and you're super strong, you're like, fuck science. I'm going after everything emotionally. And I've been on both sides of it. 100%. And I know for sure, it's like we have to marry those concepts. And like you said, right, I love that, that scientific art approach. It's, it's super important. Of course, the new school, I laugh because I love seeing trends on social media. Five, six years ago, all oh, savages. Now, you know, you put on a pair of fucking cool glasses and you talk about, you know, how this is going to be in your macro cycle. And everyone's like, click, 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 click. And then you get the opposite. <laughs> I was going to put my on. <laughs> Actually, <laughs> and and you see this concept, and I, and I smile, I laugh because again, it's those people and those of us that are in the gray area trying to translate these these things for people, and then it all comes down to like very much it depends what language does your lifter respond to best, and uh, what are you going to do yes. with that? Hundred percent, hundred percent, I love it. Um, okay, we're gonna switch gears a little bit. You own the battle axe gym and and i've said this before to honestly anyone who asks it's a unique place it is uh to put it into words is very challenging because it's a well-oiled machine but at the same time it's a family you guys all care about each other there's every person in there wants every person around them to be successful while at the same time you compete every day and that's a very unique environment. I want to like look at your gym where it is today and look at it where it started in that 1100 square foot storage unit. Is this is this what you thought it would be? Did you have any concept of what it would be when you started? So, good question. 
there was the insanity in me that saw something like this, but maybe like a like a blurry vision in the horizon, right? Yeah, I had no idea that it was going to be this specific, but I did, I did see success. I had to be crazy. You know, um, I remember speaking to my mom and I said, hey, I'm going to quit my job and my career because I was in social working. I had insurance. I could have kept growing in that company. You had insurance? And I'm going to, oh, I had like medical insurance, like the real deal. Yeah. Mm. I had savings and dental, the whole thing, man. I used to go work. You had a savings account? Yeah. I mean, it's gone now, obviously, but, uh, (laughs) but you know, I told her, hey, I'm, I'm going to quit this job and I'm going to pursue my dream of owning a gym. And initially the mom reaction, she's like, well, you went to Penn State University and you're in your, your education, how, you know, and you have to have that kind of crazy, you know, bug in your body and be like, it's going to work and, and it's going to fucking make it. And this is going to happen. And at first in Miami, everyone's like, well, you have to be a the gym. You have to be this. And you're like, no, I mean, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. And so there was part of me that was, crazy enough to think I'd make it, but no way did I think it was ever going to be at this capacity or that I'd be coming back from fucking Norway or Ireland or hanging out with Eddie Cohen and meeting Nick Best, meeting you. Like, I mean, literally like being on podcasts, like that was. You just put me in the same conversation as Nick Best and Ed. Yeah. We're just a bunch of bros being guys, dude. I'll take it. it. I don't, I don't deserve Uh, it, but I'll take it. (laughs) Oh man. Why shouldn't we go to Norway next year? Cause they're coming with. Okay. (laughs) Okay, cool. Um, it's funny you mentioned, you know, you got to be kind of crazy. I remember the conversation with my father when I decided to quit my, my job. So I actually haven't, it's funny. I haven't done an intro video of who I am yet on my channel, but I probably should. Um, you know, I was a strength coach for five years at a very high level, uh, in the, in collegiate athletics. And I quit, uh, I went through a burnout. I quit. Got a job as a rehab consultant for an insurance company. Very cushy job, like 65 grand a year, pension, benefits, everything. And that's when I started building up my online business. And, you know, unbeknownst to my father, I had built up the online business quite well to the point where I was making, you know, over what I was making in my day job. And at that point, I told my dad, I was like, I'm going to quit my job. And he goes, are you fucking nuts? (laughs) And I said, a little bit. Um, But then I told him, I was like, like, I'm not happy. This is what lights my fire. And if I'm going to bet on anyone, I'm going to bet on myself. And I had a plan. Don't get me wrong. I had a plan. I was also in a very, very safe position. I had savings. I had, you know, I had a fallback. And I also had a, a, a stable business. I had been making the same amount of money, give or take a little bit, for the last six months. So it's not like I was stepping into some, you know, unsavory situation. But I was still scared. One thing that I thought would be interesting to chat about is now the business model for your gym. The gym itself doesn't have very many members. So are you comfortable speaking about like the business plan for the actual brick and mortar itself and how you sustain that and have that as part of your, you know, you have your vertical of the brick and mortar, you have your vertical of online training. Now you have apparel. Like, can you talk a little bit about how you organize your business? Yeah. So I have no problem. I'm, I'm super transparent on that aspect. So original, I mean, honestly, the, the way I started was, you know, I literally went in head first. I had no concept of what an LLC was or taxes. I was just turned 28. I mean, very new. Nobody in my family ever owned a business or anything like that. None of my friends did. So I was very alone in that aspect. I was very fortunate that one of my rugby mates and a good friend of mine, Tom, was a, a real deal accountant. And I talked to him from the get-go. And he was able to guide me with a lot of things that saved my ass. Um, I didn't know how to open a property up. Nothing. I mean, literally nothing. Um and I wasn't, I didn't have any cushion. I maxed out a credit card and I took my last paycheck at work and I said, here we go. Holy fuck. And yeah, it was nuts. Uh, <laughs> a lot of ramen noodles for a that's, while. But that's ballsy. Yeah, man. It was, I look back at it, I'm like, fuck. If anyone would have, like one of my friends would do that, I'd be like, don't fucking do that. But now, you know, here we are. But the way the gym works is because it's invitation only and because I've kind of built this, I even as a, when I first started, 
I always thought that exclusivity was a great system for business, whether it was, sure. and I come and I get that from, because I'm a nerd, uh, a comic book collecting and card collecting, the, the more rare and the harder it was to get something, the more people saw it. It was just the way it's always been. I grew up in that collecting culture. And I said, well, I think I can make that happen here. I, I don't want this to be a gym for everybody. That's how my Muay Thai gym was. And that also created the concept for my re retail and apparel, the exclusivity of things. And so, no, I didn't, I don't, I still don't just open it to everyone. But that also bred a kind of safety concept where when I had clients that have been there for nine, eight, ten years because I got to handpick most of those people and it kind of kept the gym and a very consistent, almost safety net of income where, yes, I might only have 30, 40 clients, but they don't, there's not much change to that. That's almost like your, uh, like your life safety, like your life insurance, like it's very safe. It's not really changing. If there's a, during COVID, I didn't lose any brick and mortar clients. Like if there's a hurricane, these are very consistent. You, you closed right during COVID? Yeah, no, we were closed for, we were closed for months. I, I say, I'm a law abiding citizen, as you can tell. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> but in that instance, I wanted to build. I from the get go, eleven years ago, I said I want to build a culture. I want to build a community. And I'm not saying I trademarked the concept, but nobody was fucking saying gym culture. At least in Miami, for us, everything was bodybuilding, LA fitness. Go in, get your shit. You know, have your coach and come out. And that ended up being great because they built the label, it built the brand, it built the attitude, the online presence that allowed me to get a little bit more volatile of a business approach, which is the online culture, which is like, you know, subject to a lot of things, you know, distance or, you know, the, the economy, I can't do this and that, while the culture of the gym is just kind of my happy, you know, legacy space where we kind of build that. It's not that the online people don't get the same, but it's just different than the brick and mortar. Well, it's a trade-off, right? So you you can either play the volume game and accept everybody, but you're also going to be subject to the things that you hear about a lot of gyms. Oh, there's very cliquey. Oh, there's, you know, this drama and he's dating her and she slept with him. And if you're handpicking everybody, and I've seen some people come and go from your gym, the ones you want around stick around. And that's your core yeah. group. And that nothing is going to mess with that. So you, you almost you give up volume for stability correct and 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 happiness i'll be very honest i'll be honest with you like i discussed with you several times when we speak business i don't need the gym like financially it's actually not it's not necessary anymore i love it and yeah some days i'm fucking tired and it's 106 degrees in my gym right now so i get home really tired pardon and it's 106 yeah Inside the gym. Yeah, you know, it? fans, it's a hunch. Yeah. It's hot, man. I'd rather be, and I, there's no breeze, you know, we turn on fans, but it's just hot air. But in the summer, it's pretty brutal. And the first five years, we didn't even have fans. But that is also a very happy place for me. You know, it's, it's, it's something that I love to do. And that, it, it gives me a space. It gives me a, a training facility. And yeah, the, the, the nature of it might change. And like you said, some of these guys aren't going anywhere. And even if they did, I'm still very close to them. You know, some guys move away. Some guys, life happens. They can't, you know, train at the gym or it's not as convenient. But by any means, the moment I'm like, hey, Miami's bad. So I need some help or I'm traveling to their town. They've very much become, you know, stay part of the Battle Axe clan in, in so many capacities. And I, yeah, I, I think, love that. I think of guys like Austin who like will drive two hours to come train on a weekend. Mm-hmm. Like, who met me at Summer Scorcher to train in the middle of 100-plus degrees, rain, hot, rain, hot, just to help. And, you know, I got guys like Weaver, the guy from my special forces, who trained five months at the gym, and we make, became like brothers. He asked me to speak at his retirement wow. and because of the gym. And he loves all over the gym and the culture, and it was it has opened those, those kind of opportunities all over the world. That's very cool. I think it's I think it's interesting because – I talk about business diversity a lot with my clients and the stability you get through diversity is so, so valuable. But if you don't have control over each vertical, it becomes a chaotic environment. So someone from the outside looking in could look at your business and say, this guy owns a gym, he online coaches, he speaks at seminars, he runs meets, he uh, 
has an apparel line. So that's like five different revenue verticals. Man, that's a chaotic situation. But knowing the finer details, what you've actually done, and it's something that I try to espouse to the people that I work with is you stack stability on top of stability. You don't build a pyramid on top of sand, right? You you have to have a wide base. So your wide base of stability is the gym. Is it lucrative? No. Is it stable? Yes. Is Does it bring you happiness? Fantastic. Cool. How do we pay our bills? Well, we can online coach. Much less time consuming. It can be done remotely. It's something that still makes you happy and fills your cup, but it's going to be more lucrative, a little bit more unstable. But since you have the stability of the gym, you can tolerate that volatility. Then you add in the apparel line. Then you add in hosting competitions. Then you add in speaking at seminars. And it just layers this complex business one layer on top of the next. And it work instead of having the idea of each being a vertical, now you have an ecosystem because the more stable and awesome your gym is, it's going to feed into your online coaching. The more online clients you have and the better reputation there, the more people are going to do your shows. The better you do at shows, the more reputation you're going to get to speak at seminars. The better you speak at seminars, you're going to get more clients. The more, And it just works in this ecosystem environment. And so, you know, I, I probably don't give you enough credit because I harp on you a lot, but what you're, I need that. <laughs> what you're doing is creating a brand. You're creating yourself as the battle axe gym. And there's so many things underneath it that encompass the battle axe. And so when I think as a message to those people who are online coaches, who are business owners, don't try to do everything at once. Don't try to make a complex system unless you have stability within that system. You cannot introduce volatility without the reliance on stability in some aspect. For me, my online business is very stable. So I introduced a new vertical of mentorship, which is more volatile. Some months it's very lucrative, some months it's zero. Mm -hmm. But I have the stability of online coaching. And same with Coach's Corner. Some months it's very lucrative, some months it's not. It all depends on what courses are available and all this sort of stuff. So, you know, I have a feeling this happened by accident, but was it orchestrated? No, it, I, <laughs> it wasn't. It's like I, I, I didn't recognize it until maybe a couple of years ago where I'm like, this is really like a, like you said, like an ecosystem. It's all kind of feeding itself because people kept telling me you have a brand, you have a brand. And originally I don't view that as a negative term. Like, I don't want to be a brand. I want to be this and that. And I took brand negatively. I'm, like, I'm not a brand. I'm a gym. I'm a culture. I'm a strength coach. And then I started realizing the value of it and what the brand or the concept or the attitude of the battle like gym and what we have, that what it really breeds and how easy it is for me to start a conversation and say, well, I'm the battle like gym. That's where I coach. And it's, that in itself is a description of what we do. And that's a big feeling of success. And it, it, like I said, initially I had no idea what I was doing. I just wanted to do everything cool. And uh, again, yeah. in many cases, I, I always tell people from training to, to business, in some cases, I also ate my shit sandwiches, but I also got lucky. I just, it's something that I would never recommend to anyone. I'd be like, have structure, but I didn't have anyone. I didn't have anyone to guide me in business at all. And, you know, owning a brick and mortar as far as being a strength gym 11 years ago in Miami was, Still the Wild West. Just, it was just Randy. Kind of figure it. Yeah, right. As you and Randy. Any, exactly. That's it. Very few powerlifting gyms. And everything was CrossFit and bodybuilding. And, you know, again, Randy was a big mentor in that aspect. And But the business, past, it, it was his, it was, he had his own job and this was his passion. So when I quit my job and this was my only thing, yeah, a lot of that stuff started. And then in the last few years, specifically why I started working with you too, is I was like, this is this has a path. This has a way of organization that I need to do because I the next ten years can't I can't keep keep, keep getting lucky for another ten years, and so, that's been the biggest change. It was I think it was our conversation on the couch, man, when I came to visit. Yeah. I yeah. talk about that shit all the time. Yeah. That's the conversation. Um, so here's the here's a question that I think it's going to get you thinking. So. A lot of the time when I say, oh, my friend, Mike, 
people go, Mike. I'm like, yeah, Mike Delapava. They're like, hmm. I'm like, the battle axe gym. And they go, oh, you might think that that's a bad thing. So when someone thinks like, oh, people don't know that I, they know me by my Instagram handle or they know me by my gym name, I think that's a great thing. Because if you can divorce Mike from the battle axe gym, you can create longevity. If you are your business, if you are John Smith personal training, and that's your business, your business dies when you retire. Mm -hmm. Are you considering the future of the battle axe as an ecosystem of business that will exist beyond your working lifespan? Yes. So that's a great question. I remember hearing two different things. I remember hearing Louis say, when I die, Westside dies. I remember that, yeah. And although it's continuing with him, and we can all say it's not the same thing with him, I remember him saying that and being like, I don't want that. And speaking of Randy, I remember him saying something to me that stuck with me. It was probably 11 years ago, 10 years ago. The moment you stop saying I, and you start using the terms we to talk about your gym, you're going to do a lot better for yourself. Mm-hmm. At first, it was like, I am the battle axe gym, I am the battle axe, because I didn't understand that concept. I had no one else really to lean on. And the idea, and this is some, the word that I use constantly, the, the concept of legacy is that something needs to live beyond my going or passing or whatever it is. And, you know, I don't necessarily have children, and I may never have children in that aspect, but that doesn't guarantee that because I have children, they're going to carry on the battle axe gym. I have to create this culture and this idea that even though I go, there's going to be people that continue the the attitude and to speak the name of the gym and to keep it going and to keep this online system up. The shirts, the retail, the idea, the terminology, the quotes, I believe that those are the strongest parts of legacy. And I hope, and this is really my goal, is that I can disappear and the gym and the attitude will go on beyond my lifespan, which looking at my some of my lifters like Esteban who are taking this as their primary goal. And I, I see mm-hmm. him very much as that next generation. I see that, you know, when you look at things in your lifters and you're like, Oh, that's like, you see it like you would see it in a, in a, in a child in a sense, not in a, in a derogatory term or condescending, but it's like, there it is right there. And like you said, I'm very happy when I say, Hey, I'm Mike, Michael De La Pava. And they're like, mm, I go, I own the battle axe gym. And like, you're the battle axe gym. I'm like, I immediately go, yeah, that, like, I'm smile. happy that, because I'm like, man, that's what I've been working 11 years of my life to to be. I want to be a part of the battle action. I don't want to be the battle action. It's like I want to be recognized that I'm part of that. Um, yep. And that's a great feeling. That only started happening to me this past, you say, year and a half. Because um, I never had aspirations of having coaches working with me. I never, because I don't have a brick and mortar, right? So any business that I did was me. And I existed as Coach Paul and I had my business master athletic performance. I never really promoted the business because I was just promoting myself. I was the only person. And then when Olivia came on board, I said, okay, well, there's something here because she's also a really fucking good coach. And then we brought on Nat and then we brought on Francesco and then we brought on Mike and then we brought on Carly. And just this, I was at a meet not long ago and someone saw me wearing the anti-diet diet club shirt. I'm like, yo, those are those master athletic shirts, right? I'm like, yeah. <laughs> I know those guys. <laughs> I know those guys. And he's like, he's like, wait a second. I'm like, you're Paul. I was like, yeah. I'm like, you recognize yeah. me before my before my brand, or you recognize me after my brand. Like, this is this is really good. And yeah. um, I think this is this might be a really good place to end the serious portion of our conversation on. We talked about legacy, we talked about impact. What are your KPIs for moving forward? Like, what are the things that you look to as key performance indicators that you're heading in the right direction, both as a both as a man and as a business owner? And uh, we did discuss this a little bit in the mentorship yesterday, yeah. and uh, it it really is freedom of choice and freedom of time and freedom of finances. The term freedom overall where there are some moments in my life right now where I have the freedom to choose who I want to train or what I want to do or what I want to study. 
and as a man, as a, as a person that's able to provide for my family, and like I said, being being the helping taking care of my parents, and I'm not trying to you know yeah. do a soft thing, but being able to do that and have the freedom to do that has probably been one of the most successful feelings of my fucking life. Mm-hmm. on a personal level on an emotional level because of and to do it with doing something that i love has made me very aware that i'm on the right track of something because so when you're when you're I, given a choice so when you when you're in a situation you're given a choice and you can make the best choice for yourself that's a kpi for you absolutely and for people that i love and the environment for me and then like you said too we talked about the importance of time you know having time to be present five six years ago paul if i was like i would never take a fucking moment off the gym not one i was like i gotta go to work i gotta go to work it's friday i'd be there for one person two people ten people saturday sunday vacation but i didn't fucking take a vacation till like year six or seven some of that megan forced me to go like real vacations you know i took and, a vacation for the first time with live that was the first time <laughs> since 2015 yeah, yeah, exactly. And you're like, oh, you know, it's alien at first. And having the choice to just stay home because I want to stay home with Megan or, or see my family or do nothing, that freedom of choice is so big. Those are things that are very important for me because, and that comes to organization, right? Not, you know, not to, I mean, not to continue the same thing, but working with you has been a big fucking deal because you have such a great organization. And I'm like, I need that, right? I started kind of viewing, I'm like, I don't need to bust my head against the wall every fucking day because then I'm not even present when I'm coaching. I'm so tired. I'm so stressed. And then I'm not present at home. And then I'm grumpy with my family. So that freedom and, and also financially, right? Bro, to say that I can go to Norway whenever the fuck I want, if you would have told the 16-year-old Michael that, I'm like, I'm too poor. Not that we were living on the fucking streets, but Norway was just an, uh, not a concept. Uh, Europe was like fucking Europe, you know? Did you even point to <laughs> Europe on a map? Uh, <laughs> I, I, I gotta ask my cousin for that well, my, <laughs> my cousin google he is the answer my cousin google but yeah i think those things are very important and that's only gonna happen the more i organize and kind of get my stuff uh, yeah. you know well, more linear and certain things at the gym well thank you for those those kind words for sure that's something that i definitely pride myself on and i think having kpis whether it just be you know the freedom of choice for me, some KPIs, like when that person recognized my company before they recognized me, that's a KPI. The more that happens, for oh, sure. Yeah. You know, when I get invited to speak at conferences, when I Ooh. get, you know, when I get random people tapping me on the shoulder in the gym, hey, I follow you on Instagram. I really like your stuff. Or, man, I watched your video on on this and this and it helped me with with whatever. I'm like, I try to really be present in those moments and enjoy them because it's very easy to just keep going and just keep moving. And it's not until you stop and think and relish in the impact that you're having on the world that you're actually going to know what that next step probably should be. Mm-hmm. The KPIs tell you so much more. And, and this isn't me saying, oh, you need to pat yourself on the back. No, no. It's me saying you need to stop and think about the things that are actually important so that you know what more to do moving forward. Right. Because if if you're and not to, paying attention, you're going to make a lot of really wrong decisions and for no other reason than ing- ignorance. Right. And how easy it is to feel like you're on the top when you're just, you're still ascending, right? And to always continue, like you're right. There's very easy to do two things: either to when somebody says, "Hey, man," and just be like, "Oh, thank you very much," and you don't do it. You just you're you're not there. You're thinking about all the next ten people, or you're trying to go forward. And also the humility of it, right? Like I always say, be humbled, ed, by those moments. And the fact that if anyone, I told every seminar I've ever, the, the fact that I had three seminars for this, this summer. And I told you that when we did the mentorship, like what's something that the fact that somebody wants to listen to me for whether it's for free or not and take away something like in Norway after the seminar, I had several people, I had discussions with people and what we're doing now. And man, that's really great. And I use this concept and I'm going to use that. Man, it was like I was one of the most amazing feelings of my life. I thought everyone's like, how long are you repairing that? I go, my whole fucking life. 
yeah. to be recognized for something that I'm creating. I'm a son of an artist. We're artists in my family. I consider this a sense of art to create something and, and to have people be in tune with it and take away and interpret something from it. I mean, that is what art, art is really all about. And it's like the best fucking feeling of my life. And, you know, and like getting into the bodybuilding spectrum and being able to look more like in this aesthetic art way, but mm. have that just be a reflection of creativity, which is like what the retail is, is like KPI times 10. Basically. I love it. So I'm starting this whole thing where I like to finish on some more fun questions. So hell yeah. Number one question or question number one. Do you crack your egg on a flat surface or on the side of the pan? Flat surface. Oh, all the smart the chefs do it too. Oh, pro chefs do that. Amateurs. Um, yeah. Five dinner guests, dead or alive. Who are they? Woo. Okay. Genghis Khan. Vladimir Lenin. My good friend, Bake. The other two. Napoleon Bonaparte. And I really want to know what happened to Amelia Earhart. So, five. so you pick a, a fascist, two world... A, a, a Russian communist who took over Russia who had a really... He was got to got some stories, man. You picked oh, a, a guy that literally... A guy that literally America. fathered like 30% of the world. Oh. A French tiny person tiny by by he wasn't really that small that's actually an inaccuracy he was small by our standard come on see see the things you can learn from him if you have him for dinner come on all right i'll give it to you i love i'm a history i'm a history guy i have people i would definitely honestly um genghis khan is in my top five and the main reason is i'm very fascinated by people who have these innate drives towards whatever it might be that drive to actually want to take over the world. I would love to know how that looks in your head. I would, I just need to know if they can bottle that up. That's gotta be so, and you're talking about a time where you can just die from a cut on your foot. Like, you know, you, the, the diseases, malaria. I mean, you can walk out the door and be dead the next day. These guys fought battle after battle after, and still. And if you know Genghis Khan history, they had to lead from the front. He wasn't allowed to lead his men. So he was in the front line every yeah. battle. And he made it. I mean, it's crazy to me. And you have a guy like Napoleon Benaparte, who's not even French, <laughs> who took over France, got kicked out, and then took it over again. Come on. Yeah. What a, and, you know, what a drinking buddy. That's true. Um, what is on the personal side of things? What are you looking forward to accomplishing in 2023, 2024, in the next year? I'd like to see myself set up a standard, both physically and financially and business wise, that I think will be this like the steady base we talked about that'll take me the next 10 years. I need to feel it. I, and now I'm like seeing it, but I need to know that it's today. All right. Last question. Who is one person you would like to see on this podcast with the caveat that you have to help me get them on it? You want to see Eddie Cohen? Oof. I would love to, especially after you, him, and Nick at the same thing. I'd love to see you talk to him because he's got that OG mentality, but he's also so welcoming of new ideas. And I think you are a good representative of, of both. I like that. Well, that's a very big compliment. Thank you so and much. And I can do it. I'm gonna, you know what? I'm gonna text him right now. Piece of crap. Yeah. Do it. <laughs> I will. <laughs> Dude, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Always a pleasure. Love you. And um, yeah, man, some great things coming this year for you. Where can thank people you, find you? you? Man. So you can find me primarily on Instagram and my website. So the Instagram is at the battle gin. Feel free to DM me or contact me there or my website, www.thebattleaxgen.com. Those are my two primary sources. And we have a podcast, The Battle Axe Podcast. You can find me on Spotify, SoundCloud, and uh, at iTunes. I hear you've had like a really handsome Canadian on your podcast a couple of times. Uh, I've never known a Canadian in my life. I'm sorry. You, we just met today. We'll talk. It might have been lost in the mail. I had him, I had him twice. 
That's true. And that's a very good comparison. If you haven't listened to the podcast of Paul and Paul, I did. I actually went back and listened to it, and it was uh, right. Interesting. Interesting. Um, All right, Coach's Corner U podcast is brought to you by Coach's Corner University, www.coachescorneru.com. we got a lot of fun stuff in the making coming in August. Mike and I are collaborating on a a course with a good friend of ours, Andrew Clayton, Strongman Certification. That should be out in the fall. And also www.masterathletic.com. You can work with me or any of my five coaches. You can DM me at Paul O'Need or any of our coaches and be happy to work with you. Thanks so much. Have a great day. Peace.